1: I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode.
0: Coming up on this week's show.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 53 of Free and Inspired Radio. Thanks for joining us again on another vast voyage through your digestive, dietary, and mental health. I hope January is going well for you so far. As we move through the month, my patients are making some progress on their respective dietary prescriptions. A big shout out to many of them who are doing the do and getting better as part of their January intentions. Now, I've been inspired this week uh, by a paper that came out of just literally, I think three or four days ago, I picked it up off Twitter, which would you believe is possibly the best uh, pool for uh, papers, <laughs> new papers that are being published. And as I say papers, I'm going to sit less um, uh, further away from the mic, so I stop popping the mic Do excuse me, I've just blown your ears out. But there was a lovely paper that came out this week about culinary herbs and spices and it's their effects on the gut. And I decided to this week as part of my Is Diet Enough series to pull together a full episode around the health benefits of adding more herbs and spices to your meals. Now from anti-inflammatory and antioxidant actions to having a profound effect on the gut microbiome which we're going to have a look at the properties of herbs and spices are various and broad and hopefully we're going to look, look at why adding more herbs and spices to your meals should actually be a pillar of your long-term health and diet But first, before we get into that, I think a significant differentiation between the medicinal herbs I use in my practice and the culinary herbs and spices we're adding to food is necessary. It's easy to blend the two, but the herbs I use in a clinical setting and often referred to in the podcast episodes, such as the one I did on saffron last week, they are standardized for professional use, so they are specifically manufactured for therapeutic Professional, you know, practitioners to use, and this is the, the herbs and spices we're referring to in this episode are the ones that you commonly use in the kitchen. Now, when herbs are standardized, they have higher amounts of active ingredients that cause a therapeutic benefit. So practitioners often look towards the amounts of these ingredients to give people the correct doses of herbs. So, for example, a good, a you know, good example of a standardized herb is curcumin. So one of turmeric's main ingredients, and that is an active ingredient that is anti-inflammatory in the body. So some research actually suggests that curcumin is as effective as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like our ibuprofen in such conditions such as osteoarthritis in the knees. Now to achieve this level of therapy in the body though, as practitioners, we need to either give curcumin on its own in high doses or turmeric with high, higher levels of curcumin added. So I'm sorry to say that you can't simply add turmeric to your smoothie to get the same results as ibuprofen in osteoarthritis yet. And that's why I wanted to make this differentiation between the herbs and spices that are in your kitchen and the herbs and spices that I might refer to in some of the studies and the journals and all the cool stuff that we talk about in other episodes of Friend Inspired Radio. But however... The difference between the effects of the professional clinical herbs I use and the culinary herbs and spices that we're going to be referring to doesn't mean there aren't massive benefits and hopefully we're going to really see that. There still are no standards or guidelines on how much we actually need to consume daily of, uh, to elicit the benefits of culinary herbs and spices, although... In this episode, I've tried to pull some amounts for you to give you some more practical ideas on how to start. So when I'm referring to culinary herbs or the herbs we use in the kitchen, think of the favorites. We're thinking parsley, rosemary, cinnamon, sage, thyme, thyme, however you want to pronounce it, fennel, ginger, and two of my favorites, oregano and paprika. So primarily Western countries such as the USA, UK, and Australia recommend using herbs and spices to flavor food to re- reduce salt intake. Herbs and spices could also help reduce sugar intake too. Now, an interesting study conducted in 2018 investigated whether or not adding culinary herbs and spices to foods lower in sugar would preserve the he- hedonic liking hedonic liking or more simply put the pleasure of eating. As a side note, just I I remember when I was reading the head the abstract of the study and I kind of read through the paper, they referred to hedonic liking very often and it occurred to me that I've never met anyone who's used the term hedonic liking, but it seems that I have now. So lucky me and lucky you because you now know someone also use the term hedonic liking and the conclusion of this study was actually very pertinent uh, adding culinary spices would be a promising strategy to reduce sugar in some foods without using low calorie sweeteners so it's possible that well basically that using herbs and spices and natural uh, seasonings if you like uh, would actually help people to tolerate or palate different types of foods that are maybe better for them so one of the more interesting questions around this is why right or why put together basically a podcast episode dedicated to herbs and spices that are mainly flavor agents and i now i genuinely believe that meals with higher levels of herbs and spices make cook, home cooking delicious and sustainable and i think the study we've just touched on reinforces this now, if you can make something more pleasurable, there's a better chance it can, it can become a regular part of your health regime. So one of the prescriptive diets I use in the clinic is a popular 30-day elimination diet called the Whole30, which you may have heard of. I've had numerous success stories using it to help people connect to their food again. And one of the reasons I feel this is the case is the recipes in the official or affiliate recipe books are all loaded with what seems to be a minimum of four to five herbs and spices per recipe. Now, you might think that's normal for most recipes when creating a flavor profile, but I think there's more to it. A typical piece of feedback from people who have completed the process is that they found the meals they were putting together to be more delicious than those eaten when they weren't on a restrictive diet. Now, this experience is what's called diet satisfaction and seems like a pretty good goal when picking well piecing together some intentions around your diet. Now in the back of my mind, I'm always happier because of the increased health benefits of herbs and spices beyond the vitamins and minerals in the meals themselves. So not only uh, you know not only that if the, heal, the meals are more delicious, there's a greater chance they'll be recooked and enjoyed beyond the end of the protocol. So it's really I, I think, honestly, that we have some pretty I guess, lofty goals for our health nowadays. And I think as a practitioner to give you an insight into, I guess, my side of the chair, when I hear that someone's enjoying the food that they're cooking, whether or not there's a restriction on that diet for you know health purposes, a prescription diet, or just in general, I often feel that there's a better chance for that person to get better. And I think if you can have an intention perhaps around your diet to have it healthy, which is fair enough, but also have a high level of diet satisfaction, I think you're going to be very, very much on the right track. Now, a few studies have demonstrated that seasoning vegetables with herbs and spices increase the selection and intake of vegetables in university and school cafeterias compared to unseasoned vegetables. So in some cases people would actually choose larger servings of the seasoned vegetables as well. Now once again, the first thing that grows through my mind when I hear larger servings of servings of vegetables, more fiber and more vitamins and minerals, and all three are in significant deficit for most. So the more exciting part of these studies and my experience with higher herbs and spices intakes uh, from my prescriptive diets is that these results indirectly occur from adding more flavor to food only. So this is indirect. Just by adding more flavor to food and increasing the flavor profile of food if you like, definitely vegetables, you're having these huge effects on on intake and volume when it comes to fruits and vegetables, but also, you know, in a more micro level, vitamins and minerals and nutrients. So we haven't even touched on the direct health benefits yet, and we're going to do that in part two of Free and Inspired Radio here. We'll be back after the break very shortly. Stick with us.
0: Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more Free and Inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show.
1: Yes, yes, welcome back to episode 53 of Free and Inspired Radio, where we are looking beyond the flavor of herbs and spices in your kitchen and finding out just how valuable they are for your health. So, just four weeks of a medium level of herbs and spices daily showed some pretty amazing effects, and we're going to spend this the second half of the show uh, looking into some the some of the papers and journals that have actually been done on culinary herbs and spices and how they can have a positive effect on your health and once again as I mentioned I've tried to try to get some practicality out of these papers as well so we've got some amounts coming up so how many or how much you should be adding per day so in teaspoons or grams and how long the studies have been so in this particular study as i said four weeks of a medium level of herbs and spices daily showed an acute anti-inflammatory effect on immune markers for people at risk of cardiovascular disease how cool is that uh, heart disease has been the third leading cause of death in hong kong would you believe and i think gosh around the world it would definitely be in the top three for sure and that's dating back to the 1960s that uh, it's been the th- heart disease has been in the top three leading causes of death in Hong Kong. Now, in in music terms, that is almost 60 years at the top of the charts for heart disease. So I wonder if it gets a platinum record. But over the last decade, research has begun to show that inflammation is the link between aging and cardiovascular disease and a potential origin story of atherosclerosis, which is a main feature. So one of the cells of the immune system, monocytes, is involved in critical ways in the development of cardiovascular disease. Now, this particular study that we're talking about that looked at a medium level of herbs and spices, and we'll get to what medium means, um, over four weeks investigated people who added just the equivalent of a few teaspoons of herbs and spices daily over these four weeks now results showed an alteration in how the monocytes behaved and a reduction in the inflammatory markers associated with cardiovascular risk that is super cool and that is just on four weeks of a few teaspoons which i've actually rounded up so a few teaspoons of herbs and spices so if you think about it if you're adding gosh, even half a teaspoon of particular spices, so a bit of oregano, maybe some black pepper, um, you know, and just doing three or four of those, you're already going to hit those few teaspoons just in one meal. So rosemary, oregano, and marjoram uh, contain bioactive com- te- compounds that also may pave the way for better diabetes management. So it's not just cardiovascular disease, it's another big killer in the world, diabetes. So these compounds in rosemary, oregano, marjoram are called flavonoids and seem to play a role in improving insulin secretion and signaling, which are two vital parts of managing diabetes. That's not all. An evaluation of herbs and spices and their potential in diabetes found over nine Hundred different compounds from culinary herbs with anti-diabetic qualities so that's that's herbs you can use in the kitchen not the professional ones we're using in the clinic that's herbs in the kitchen 900 different compounds with anti-diabetic qualities so specific herbs that were mentioned uh, in this review were fennel licorice saffron which we did a big episode on last week cinnamon lemongrass rosemary and oregano which we've already mentioned and they're all pretty standard members of our kitchen herbs and spices collection aren't they but they've got really great effects and once again when we're looking at diseases like you know cardiovascular disease and diabetes i would say anything that you can do to reduce your risk of these diseases and you know hopefully managing them if you've already been diagnosed i mean an easy win Another really uh, big part of herbs and spices uh, are polyphenols and they are critical activators of the microbiome. So we refer to flavonoids um, from rosemary, oregano, marjoram and those flavonoids are part of a larger group of compounds naturally occurring in plant-derived foods called polyphenols. So you can find polyphenols in grapes, onions, broccoli, onions, Oh, sorry, I've written onions twice in my little write-up here. I must love onions. I do, actually, as a side note. Dark chocolate as well have really high levels of polyphenols but herbs and spices, especially in their dried form, contain higher levels of polyphenols in comparison. So these values are where I find herbs and spices underrated regarding their health benefits beyond flavor. So for example, dark chocolate, which you can listen to, uh, we did a full episode on dark chocolate around Easter 2022. So we talked a lot about polyphenols in that episode and that's around easter whenever easter was 2022 feels like an eon away um but dark chocolate is very famous for its high polyphenol content and that comes in around 1900 milligrams of polyphenols per 100 grams now in contrast dried oregano's total phenolic content comes in at just over 6,000 milligrams per 100 grams So that's almost three times the amount of polyphenols in dried oregano per 100 grams than chocolate. So with cloves coming in at just over 16,000 milligrams per 100 grams, the polyphenol content just on paper for herbs and spices is actually way higher than dark chocolate. Now, obviously you're using less of the herbs and spices to get your flavorings and things like that than you would be eating dark chocolate. For some people, you're eating vastly more amounts of dark chocolate than you would normally. So you're going to obviously get more polyphenols um, per serving, if you like. But just to give you a sense of how powerful these herbs and spices are, that contrast is really interesting. Now polyphenols are most notably known for their antioxidant qualities but also have research on their anti-inflammatory and neuroprotective effects. One of the lesser known qualities of polyphenols is their effect on the microbiome and we talked about this in in the beginning of the show. The dietary polyphenols have good evidence to show their role in the gut is almost prebiotic in nature. So if you're new to prebiotics as opposed to probiotics, prebiotics is an easy way to think sorry, an easy way to think of probiotic prebiotics role in the gut is to provide energy for your probiotics to exert their benefits. I'm going to repeat that cuz I kind of messed it up. Prebiotics um, an easy way to think of their role is in the gut is to provide the energy for your probiotics to exert their benefits. So, in the case of polyphenols from herbs and spices, they contribute by stimulating the low, the growth of lactobacillus species and bifidobacteria species. So, common probiotic species you'll see in over the counter formulas and things like that are stimulated by polyphenols high in herbs and spices. Right. So let's look at some of the more practical elements of the herbs and spices and have a look at something that's really important. Now, A lot of people don't or may or may may not know that the way you cook with herbs and spices really matters. So let's say you've gotten this far in the episode and are ready to add more herbs and spices to your food daily. Let's have a look at some of these essential tips to get the best out of them. Now, I love fresh herbs from a flavor point of view. However, remember, as we spoke about previously, dried herbs will be your best bet if you want the highest polyphenol count. So when it comes to cooking, a study looking at its impact on a number of our favorite culinary herbs and spices, including cinnamon, cloves, fennel, ginger, parsley, rosemary, sage, and thyme, in amounts, were used, in amounts used in the preparation of food, found that microwaving, simmering, and stewing, or slow cooking, let's say, all increase the antioxidant content down of the herbs and spices down to the heat that was liberating the compounds. Now cooking that involved dry heating, grilling and frying resulted in a decrease in the antioxidant capacity of the herbs and spices there for you. So this improved antioxidant capacity could explain why it's often better to add fresh herbs to your meal during the simmering stage or at the end of the cooking process and that's just one from me that wasn't necessarily from a paper. Now this is an interesting reason as well to keep up your herbs and spices intake daily. Now studies into the bioavailability of polyphenols from culinary herbs tell us that the absorption into the systemic circulation is relatively poor as they are often drawn up by gut bacteria as we discussed earlier or absorbed by the liver or quickly eliminated by the body or all three. Now, estimates currently suggest up to 10% of the total phenolic content gets through to exert a a beneficial action, just 10%. So in my mind, this suggests adding a little bit more for a robust flavor, maybe the right thing to do in this case, maybe a little bit more gets you a little bit more. So a little summary here is that herbs and spices do work very well beyond their flavoring. Uh, to give you some really great health benefits and if you can use the dried versions and use them in stews and you know sauces you're simmering and these things you'll get the best out of them but also remember that not much gets uh, absorbed and this is kind of goes back to my point around you know transferring studies on curcumin and saying well i'm going to put turmeric into my smoothie for example the amount the the, the herbs themselves and the spices aren't that bioavailable so you're not going to get enough curcumin or at least the amount of curcumin that they're using in these studies to exert that action so it's really key to remember that as i also said that does not mean <laughs> that you shouldn't be using them or should give up because they are very, very powerful agents for you, especially with the consistency and frequency that we use herbs. I mean, look, if you have four or five different herbs for lunch and dinner, I mean, you're getting a lot over the course of years. So what do you think? This episode was aimed to try and transcend thinking of herbs and spices as purely flavor enhancers. I think even in an introductory way, we've seen in this episode that the bioactive ingredients in the herbs and spices should be positioned together, or at least in my opinion, should be positioned together with nutritious foods that we covet for their health-boosting activity. So before we finish this episode of Free and Inspired Radio, if you'd love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, Podcast episodes and everything going on in the world of philipwatkins.health. Jump over to the website there and join the newsletter and join the community. We've got a free ebook on probiotics and the brain waiting for you uh, to say thank you for joining the community. And there'll be more ebooks this year. Now, uh, we've got some really cool stuff coming up. Now, your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me get the word on the street. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, please throw the video a like and subscribe to see when each new video or podcast is uploaded. Um, I want to send shout-outs, as always, to the show listeners who get this far. This show is about helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again. I hope this gets you one step closer and maybe it gets you into the kitchen. It gets you excited about chopping parsley and using oregano. Uh, Maybe it's just me. But until next week, where we'll be doing a, we'll be just aligned with Chinese New Year. Uh, Don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you. And we'll be back with more Freedom Inspired Radio just before you know it. Bye.
0: You made it to the end. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.